0: God, our Father, Lord, we do praise you this day. We honor you and we glorify you, God, and we exalt you. We thank you that you are the mighty God. Lord, that you are in heaven, that you have created the whole world and all that is in it. Lord, that you own everything, the whole world and all who live in it. We thank you, Lord, that you are so kind to give us life and to give us breath and to give us a purpose and meaning in this life. We thank you that you are the Lord of history and the king of the nations. We thank you, Lord, that you are filled with love and benevolence and kindness and mercy and grace. And we thank you for the great privilege that we have to know you through Your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the blood of His cross. Lord, we glorify You and we praise You for the cross. We honor You and we bless You and we stand in awe of all that You have done there at, at the Mount of Calvary. Lord, it is a precious thing to us and we do thank You for it. Lord, we rejoice in all that You are, in all that You are to us. We do receive you, King Jesus, and we rejoice that you have come to rule and to reign. And we willingly subject ourselves to your lordship. And we ask for your strength in faith, Lord, that we might obey you, that we might be a people that please you in every respect, that we bear the fruit of your Holy Spirit, God, with lives that honor you and bless you and honor and bless others. We thank you for such a great privilege. And Lord, we are just exceedingly grateful for all that you have done. We ask this morning as we look into your word that you would impress it upon our hearts. Lord, that you would uh, cause us to see clearly the purpose for which we exist. And Lord, I just ask that you would cause these words to burn in our hearts from this day forward. May you be properly exalted and lifted up in each one of our lives, in each one of our marriages in each one of our families, and we just thank you for uh, the privilege to gather here and to freely proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, with that, we are uh, into our um, lesson here. Uh, We have been discussing the offices of Christ in our ongoing study of the person of Jesus Christ. And we spent the last two weeks talking about Jesus in his office as prophet and Jesus in his office as priest. And we finished last week about halfway through the lesson discussing the priesthood of Christ and all that that meant to us. Uh, That audio and uh, the handouts are available on the website for anybody who would like to have them. Then uh, we began speaking about the kingship of Jesus. And uh, as we did that, I, I mentioned that we had talked about this a bit earlier when we were talking about the exaltation of Christ, and we talked about the fact that the Bible clearly prophesied that there would come a day in the future when Jesus would rule physically on the earth as a king from his throne in Jerusalem. And that uh, that would be during the future 1,000-year millennium uh, that is clearly presented in the Scripture. And uh, we talked about that at great length, and of course that was uh, back in the in the lesson on, on the handouts starting on page 20 and going through page 22. Uh, there, if you will, uh, was just some factual evidence and prophecy from the scripture about the millennial rule of Christ. Well, here as we talk about Jesus being uh, in, in his office of king, um, we... Uh, the first thing I brought forth was trying to discuss a little bit about the nature of Christ's kingship, about the nature of Christ's rule. And you're familiar with the term I used last week about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into this time-space continuum. And if you will, when Jesus came in the first advent, and he came and he lived a life as a man, he was God incarnate in the flesh, lived as a man, that when he came into this world, he came preaching the kingdom of God. And he said, repent. First words out of his mouth when his ministry began on the shores of Galilee, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or it is here, it has arrived. And of course that is because he arrived. And if you will, when he went into the synagogue, he opened the book there, he began to read from Isaiah 61, and he said, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing this day. And if you will, uh, they sought to the kill him from that day forward, um, because he was therefore claiming to be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one whom... God had promised to the Jews in the Scripture. And this was greatly offensive to them because they did not receive him as Christ. And so, if you will, his ministry began there. But when he came, he came preaching a kingdom. And everybody knows that a kingdom has a king. And Jesus, obviously, the king of his kingdom, came. Well, what happened was his kingdom came into our world, our realm. Our time-space continuum, this fallen world that is suffering under bondage to decay, like it says in Romans 8. And he came in from heaven. He came to earth. And he, Jesus the king brought the rule or the reign of his kingdom and broke into our world. Okay, and, and, of course, when he did that, the first thing he did was he accomplished the eternal purpose of God in salvation by giving his life on the cross and fulfilling the purpose of God as the Lamb of God, giving himself as a sacrifice for sins, and also then and therefore conquering sin and death and hell. He was raised from the dead, and from that point forward the scripture says that he ascended to the right hand of God and sat down to wait for his enemies to be made his footstool. And we are currently in this transitionary time where Christ has come to rule in heaven from the right hand of God spiritually, but has not yet brought his physical rule upon the earth. And so many refer to this as the church age. I'm fine with that term. I think it's a good term. I think that um, if you're a dispensationalist, you, you call it the dispensation of the church. If you're into covenant theology, you call it the New Covenant. The the, the, uh, fact of the matter is, during this time, this dispensation, this covenantal age, Christ has come to rule from his throne in heaven. And regardless of which one of those camps you find yourself in, Christ has still not yet physically come to the earth to rule and reign. We know that because we look around and we don't see him. He is not here, physically ruling and reigning. More than that, all of his enemies have not been put under his feet. We look around, we see death, we see suffering, we see dying, we see pain, we see mourning. We see that God has not instituted the eternal state yet. And, and all of the promises that he gave us about the coming kingdom of the Messiah have not yet come to their fulfillment. Many have, but many have not. And so we've been talking about that at some length. Well, when we talk about Jesus' kingship and the nature of that kingship, this is something we must understand. That the kingdom of God is now, but it is also not yet. Are you with me? It has, ha- it has broken into our time-space continuum, but it is now in a process of coming to its fullness and and it will eventually come to its fullness and all of the promises of God and his coming kingdom are going to come to fulfillment in time and space. However, <clears throat> that has not yet happened. So if you will, the Christian's great hope or the blessed hope of the church is what? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we look to that time when he will appear again, not this time as a suffering lamb, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah, who has come to take his rightful ownership over the world. Amen? Yeah. And at that point, he's going to be a conquering king. And so when we talk about the kingly office of Jesus, it's important to make this distinction, that his kingdom, his kingdom and his reign reign has not yet come to its full fruition. In fact, it has simply been established now. Um, However, all of his enemies have not been brought under his rule. If you will, it's like a king who goes into a foreign land to take his throne and then sends his armies out to bring his dominion to the ends of his realm. Are you with me? And if you will, he has not yet gone out and brought all of his enemies and subdued them under his feet quite yet. But that is the process that is taking place now. This, this is how the scripture speaks about his kingship, okay? So with that, we've been just talking about the nature of Jesus' kingship. And we, we have said uh, on page 26, just kind of following our outline That Jesus, he said he was born to be a king. He told that to Pilate. That the scripture describes his kingship as the greatest kingship of all kingships. Psalm 89 says that he will have the highest place of all the kings of the earth. Revelation 19.16 calls him the king of kings and the lord of lords. In Psalm 48 verse 2, uh, Jerusalem is called the city of the great king and uh, if you will Jesus is the greatest king of all and in Revelation 1 5 there he is pictured as the ruler of the kings of the earth and when the apostle Paul describes the authority of Jesus he puts it like this he says that his uh, uh rule, his authority is, Ephesians 121, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, that is God the Father, put all things in subjection under his feet, that is Jesus the King, and gave him as head over all things to the church. And so, if you will, the, the, the Bible uh, gives these very comprehensive descriptions about the extent of the rule and authority of Jesus. It is a rule far above all other rule, all other dominion, all other power. So, when we seek to have a vision of who Christ is, and when we think about in our mind who is Jesus, and we get a picture from the Bible of who Jesus is, He is the anthropus, the God-man, who came, he was God incarnate in the flesh, who took on an additional nature as a man, went to the cross at Calvary, died, was buried, was raised on the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of God, the scripture says, far above all dominion, far above all rule, far above all power, Jesus Christ is exalted above all other kings and all other authorities in the world, in the universe. That are in existence. And the scripture goes so far as to say all things. Again and again and again. When the New Testament describes the the authority and the supremacy of Jesus. It says that he is above all things. That is everything. Okay. And so this is how we should think of Christ. And this is how we should think of his reign. This is how we should think of his rule. This is how we should think of his kingdom. And think what encouragement that brings to us. Because we are those who have willingly come under the subjects, become subjects of his authority. And to us, we also possess then his great promise of care. His great promise of protection and provision. And more than that, he's promised to give us Heavenly bliss forever and peace. And the scripture says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And there'll be no longer any mourning or dying or crying or pain. Amen? And that's not just an empty promise. That comes from the Lord of the universe. Amen? And and he bids us, come unto me, he says, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen? You tired of your sin? Is it a heavy load? Come to Christ. Amen. Well, so if you will, when the scripture speaks about this dominion of Jesus, and it gives these descriptions that are very comprehensive about the fact that he's above all other rule and authority, it also says that his dominion will never end, that it will be an everlasting dominion, that his kingdom will never come to an end. And again, of course, the scripture says this again and again. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. It's made crystal clear in the New Testament. The, the fact is, Jesus is the king. He has now begun to reign. The extent and the rule of his government shall have no end. If you will, it's like a little tiny mustard seed that God planted in the ground. And when it grows up, it's the tallest bush in all the garden. You remember when Jesus described his kingdom? He said the kingdom of heaven is like, right? Little tiny seed. Just a man, Christ Jesus, Jewish carpenter's son, died on a cross. Little bitty seed in the ground. But when <laughs> it's full grown, it will cover the whole earth. Amen? Amen. And beyond. Well, This is how the nature of Christ's kingship is described in the scripture. Um, And it goes on to say that we, his saints, who willingly make ourselves subject to his rule, who come to him to be his servants, the scripture says that he makes us a kingdom and priests unto him and unto God. And that we become these servants of his kingship. We become these who willingly subject ourselves to the service of the king. Amen? And then the scripture clearly describes how if we suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him. And if we endure with him, that we shall reign with him. And the scripture promises a day coming in 2 Thessalonians that when he comes, he's going to be glorified in his saints on that day. And that every eye will see him when he comes. And then he's coming with great power and glory. And his saints on that day are going to be exalted and lifted up to rule and to reign with him. That's what the scripture says. These saints of God, there on page 27 on your handout, shall also be rewarded when Christ comes and takes his throne forcibly to rule upon the earth. They shall be kings and priests and possess his authority to rule with him upon the earth. And this is clear in the scripture. Daniel 7.27 says at that point, of course Daniel 7 is a vision that Daniel has explaining the uh, exaltation of the Messiah, of the anointed one, and of the kingdom and authority that he receives. The very last verse of that chapter says, Then the sovereignty and dominion and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions will serve and obey him. Here the scripture says the sovereignty and dominion of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. Christ's people are going to rule and reign with him and be given his dominion and his authority. And we think about that and we just marvel. We think me a ruler? <laughs> you know, and this is this is one of the reasons why we're saints now. Because we don't think of ourselves as adequate, do we? But instead we've come to him in humble contrition with a broken life, with a life filled with sin and shame. And we've come to him And humbled ourselves before him. And asked of him to heal us and to fill us. Amen. And so we don't think of ourselves as kings now do we? But the scripture speaks of us as kings. And it speaks clearly about our future destiny. Ruling and reigning with Christ. Well quite frankly family I, I, I can hardly grasp what that must be like. But I know it's a reality, because the Scripture makes it crystal clear. Revelation 2 and 26 and following, And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Revelation 5.10 says, And thou hast made them, that is, these saints... To be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. And of course we've already looked at the scripture in Revelation 20 where it says that um, uh, at the first resurrection the saints will be resurrected and rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Well, it should be no surprise to us then. Having looked at all these scriptures about prophecies about Jesus coming to be the king and looking at these scriptures where the scripture defines the nature of Christ's rule, the nature of his reign, the extent of it, and the character of it. It should be no surprise to us then to find out that Christ's earthly kingship was planned and decreed by God from eternity. That it was always God's plan for Jesus to be the king that it was always God's plan for Jesus to share His rule and His authority with His beloved church. It was always God's plan to come and to give His life on the cross, to conquer death and hell through the resurrection, and to now be seated at the right hand of God, and awaiting for His enemies to be put under His feet. It was always God's plan for these things to come to pass, and God has decreed them from all eternity. And if you will, we see these this clearly in the Old Testament. Psalm 2 and verse 6 there it says, But as for me, this is God speaking through the mouth of the prophet. He says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And there you can see how that is seasoned uh, as a messianic, prophecy of the kingship of christ if you're familiar with psalm 2 it's it is a messianic psalm And it's a messianic psalm talking about the exaltation of the anointed Messiah as king over his enemies. And how he will subdue his enemies. And how in the latter days the kings of the earth will gather to make war against him. And how God just scoffs and laughs at them from heaven. And eventually puts them under his feet and crushes them. And then he warns the kings of the earth. Um, against this behavior where they would uh, gather against the Christ, against the king of the nations whom God has installed. And if you will, this is a prophecy some thousand years before Jesus was even born of his latter reign, of that rule, that kingship that would come and how he would subdue all the kings of the earth under his feet. This is clearly seen in the scripture. In Micah 5.2, a verse that we're all familiar with. There it says, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth for me to be what? The ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from when? The days of eternity. Right? Let me tell you, there's only one whose goings forth are from the days of eternity. Who's that? Christ Jesus God the Son. Amen? Only God exists in eternity. Only God is the only one eternal being in all of creation. Amen? And here the scripture says God is going to rule Israel. He's the ruler of Israel. So when we look at a prophecy like this, or we look at the prophecy in Psalm 2, that's prophesying of the future kingship of the Lord, we don't quite see that happening just yet, now do we? However... We are told in the New Testament that Christ has been exalted to that place which is above all other authorities. And so if you will, this is how we see clearly in the scripture that this is a transitionary time when Christ's enemies are being put under his feet through the means which he has ordained. And if you will, he has ordained these things from all eternity, right? One is going to come and be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from the days of eternity. You see, it was back in eternity that God planned that Jesus would be the king, the ruler in Israel. Amen? So you say, why, how come you're always emphasizing this decree? How come you're always talking about this thing that happened in the mind of God a trillion years ago? The reason I tell you that is so that you know how certain it is that the world just didn't come. You know, we're not just a bunch of uh, evolved amoebas here. You understand? God made this world. It's His world. This is my Father's world. Right? And, and, and though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Amen? Family, He's just working out His purposes. It's only a matter of time until you see Christ Jesus, the King on His throne, exalted above all physical rule on the earth and His enemies under His feet and the Lamb lying down with the wolf Amen? It's coming. Get your hopes up. You ought to. It's coming soon and very soon. Amen? Amen. Believe it? I don't know about you, but it gives me great encouragement. There's there's a lot of things to look around at this world and be very discouraged. In fact, utterly depressed. If it weren't for the hope that I had in Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen? But that hope is such a great hope. It, it propels me into another world. It, it propels me. Uh, it propels me with great eager expectation into a time and place when I'm going to be free from all my enemies, and I'm going to be able to rest, and I'm going to find peace, and I'm going to be with Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but that's my great hope. We're very familiar with the scripture in Isaiah. Consider what is said here concerning the kingship of Jesus and concerning his kingdom and his reign. Isaiah 9, 6 and following. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. That right there is the little baby Jesus in the manger. Right? But you know what? He's not a baby in that manger for long now, is he? Look what it goes on to say. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Amen? In other words, that little baby in that manger is God. Amen? Look what it says here. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen? Amen. Now that is a crystal clear promise in the scripture of the coming rule of Christ in its totality. Amen? And the fact that it will never end and that in that place there will be peace. Amen? Lord, come quickly. Would you agree? He will subdue and rule the nations along with his saints, and they shall be lifted up in the eyes of all their enemies. Their enemies shall come and bow down before the Lord and give him glory and render obedience to him. And, of course, we talked about this at some length uh, back uh, in in our lesson before. I want to just read you a scripture from there. This is on page 21 at the bottom of the page, Zechariah 14, verses 8 through 11, speaking of the rule of Christ in Jerusalem in the coming days. Here's what it says. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea, and it will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. From Benjamin's gate, as far as the place of the first gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepresses, And people will live in it, and there will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. These are the kinds of things that the Old Testament prophesies about the physical rule of Jesus in Jerusalem. But if you will, I want to remind you about the telescoping effect that prophecy has when we look at it in the Word of God. The Word of God is eternal. It's not bound by time and space. So when, when the prophets speak, many times they're describing things that may, may begin to come to pass at some point in history, but don't actually reach their, their fullness until the end. In fact, I will tell you, this is the spirit that is in all of prophecy. Uh, you know, guys that study prophet a lot, prophecy a lot, they call it near and far fulfillments or near and far implications. And what it means is is that there are prophecies in the Bible that will will come to pass in part at a certain point in time and space, but don't actually reach their fullness or their fulfillment until the appointed day of God. Like I was explaining the kingdom to you and telling you how it's broken into time and space now, but hasn't reached its fulfillment. So we may look at prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Christ ruling and reigning on his throne in Jerusalem, But yet we don't see that yet because it hasn't come to fruition in its fullness. So if you will, um, what happens many times when we're reading prophecies, and you you need this if you really want to understand prophecy, you need to understand this concept, this idea. That prophecy, I I try to use the word telescoping because when you look at prophecy, it's, it's not always in a linear fashion. It's not always saying, this will happen and that will happen, this will happen, that will happen. It's not giving you this linear chronological order of events. Sometimes it does that. Jesus does that very clearly in the Olivet Discourse when he's talking about prophetic events. However, prophecy is not always like that. In it, A lot of times, it comes to us in the sense of speaking of realities, um, not in a linear sense, but it'll make statements about a reality that we may see have come to pass already, but part of it we do not see yet coming to pass. So in that sense, it's speaking about the whole reign of, like for instance in this case, the fullness of the reign of the kingship of Jesus will include him sitting on a throne in Jerusalem, him being the only one, the only ruler in that day, but that that kingdom will go on forever, okay? Those things haven't happened yet. However, his kingship has begun, has it not? So the point of the matter is, is that the character, the nature of these prophetic words is that they encompass a large area of time. And it's not necessarily laid out for us in a linear fashion, okay? So I don't mean to confuse you, but I'm trying to use this word telescoping until I find a better way to articulate that. What happens is when you look at the prophecy, it has a depth. So what you may see on the surface may be happening already, but what it's implying or explicitly saying way down deep inside the text may not have yet come to its fullness. Does that make sense? Okay. Is anybody confused about that? Do you want me to continue to try to describe that? I don't want to throw anybody for a loop. Sounds like everybody's got a a grasp on that. So then, when we look at this prophetic language, we see that oftentimes. However... The scripture clearly says that Christ is going to put his enemies under his feet, that um, all nations are going to render obedience to him. We have scriptures like the one I just read in Zechariah. How about in Psalm 22, uh, 27 and following? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will will worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. They're a crystal clear prophecy of the extent of the rule of Christ in the future. It will be with all the families of the earth. They're going to come and worship before him. They're going to pay him homage. They're going to ascribe worth to him. They're going to give their due to Christ the King. And if you will, here it's inclusive of all the nations. Psalm 66.3 says, How awesome are thy works! Because of the greatness of thy power, thine enemies will give feigned obedience to thee. And here the scripture says that Christ's enemies will obey him fully. You see that? Family, these are prophecies of great hope. Because they haven't come to fruition yet. In all of us. In fact, the whole creation is groaning, waiting for this glorious freedom of the children of God to come to pass. Amen? That's what it says in Romans eight eighteen and following. More than this, Jesus will be a benevolent king like no other king that has ever reigned. Grace and truth will thrive on the earth under his reign. The widow will have a husband and the orphan a father. He will bring peace to the earth and subdue all evil under his feet and the world will be filled with his glory to the ends of the earth. Believe it? It's coming soon and very soon. Amen. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See that? it's coming a day when everybody's going to know about the glory of God. You understand when the scripture uses an idiom like, as the waters cover the sea, <laughs> that means the whole place. The whole kit cat, and caboodle. Right? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, including the whole shebang. The whole deal. Right? As the waters cover the sea. Amen? What a glorious day that's going to be. Micah 4.3, He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for the mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Amen? You see that? Glorious promise. I just want to point something out to you there. We're going to move on in our lesson. But that idea of telescoping prophetic near and far fulfillment is crystal clear in this last scripture of Micah 4.3. If you look at the part that's highlighted there, it says that when Christ comes and he judges between many peoples and he renders decisions for mighty nations, it says nation will not lift up sword against nation. Stop. That will happen in the millennial reign. Read on. And never again will they train for war. Now, what happens is, in the millennial reign, and the scripture is very clear about this, okay? Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. Christ is going to come. And when he comes, he has a, a big bad dude with him. You know that big bad dude in Revelation 20, verse 1? He grabs Satan by the scruff of the neck, binds him with chains, right? For a thousand years, the scripture says, Satan will be bound, right? And and during that thousand years, the church will be resurrected. They will rule and reign with Christ in the millennium for a thousand years. And then it goes on. At the end of that reign, now and I covered this uh, back on page uh, 22 of the lesson. If you want to go back and look at that or get the audio. Um, At the end of that millennial reign, the scripture says there will be another rebellion of the nations. Okay? So during the time of that reign, when Satan is bound, right? What happens? Nation will not lift up sword against nation. That will be the coming reign of the Lord that the scripture has promised when he puts his enemies physically under his feet. And, and there will be no influence on the earth of Satan. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, Jesus will be sitting on his throne in Jerusalem. The whole world, every eye will see this. It will be plain in the sight. Listen, the nations don't go up to worship. Guess what? No rain. Right? We talked about those things. It's going to be plain for everyone to see. Yet, however, this idea that never again will they train for war does not actually come to pass until the eternal state. Are you with me? So here you have this prophecy that speaks of this reign of Christ in a way where it's talking about the whole fullness of that reign in its, in its, uh, in its full sense when it has come to complete fruition. Um, yet it makes statements that talk about what will happen in the course of time as that's coming to fulfillment. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Micah 4.3 is an example of the near and far implications that are in prophecy, and I just wanted to point that out to you. It's a very important concept to understand when you're studying prophecy, and it confuses people all the time. So what'll happen is they'll take this scripture and they'll say, "See what this says? This can't mean this, and this timing can't be this way because it says this." Well, listen. Sometimes it's talking about more than one thing, and of course, we have other examples of this, like the the uh, the uh, prophecies in Daniel 11 of Antiochus Epiphanes uh, and those kinds of things, where we see several fulfillments of that prophecy being played out in the in, a, in the history of time. Okay, so just want to point that out to you. So then uh, we're going to move on then to this idea of the supremacy of Christ in all things. Okay. So if, if we're doing a, a biblical overview of the person of Christ and, you know, we've looked at the offices of Christ and we've looked at the the fact that it's important that we have our understanding of Jesus come from the Bible, that, that there's, there really is no other authority. In fact, Jesus himself is the very living word of God, and, and that um, uh, you know we, we go through uh, this biblical understanding of the person of Christ. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is the reason for the season. Are you with me? What season? The season of creation. Period. You understand? Jesus is the reason for everything. Pick it out. Name it. Whatever it is. The scripture says all things were created by him and for him. Now, that's a short statement. But think about what it says. It's huge. It's vast in its volume of knowledge that one little statement all things were created by him and for him amen Amen. it's like if a man builds a house on a mountainside next to a meadow in a babbling brook right he is building that house for who For for him right and that thing exists for him and for his purposes and he's the master of it, right? In fact, he put it together, right? And he designed it. And he figured, you know what? I want my my living room here and my kitchen over there. And I want my fireplace here. And I, you know, he's got, you know, he's got a purpose for everything he builds on the house, right? Just like it says in the scripture in Proverbs 16, 4, right? The Lord has made everything for its own purpose. Even the wicked for the day of disaster. Amen. God has fashioned everything He's made with a very specific purpose. Well, who is this God? He's the triune God of the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's Jesus Christ, incarnate as a man. That's who He is. And so, when we talk about the supremacy of Christ, here's what we're saying. Everything exists for Him. And he's the one who brought it into existence. And and therefore, he is the meaning of everything. Are you with me? And, and family, this is the Christ that Christianity preaches. <coughs> he's not just a suffering, dying man who gave his life for the sacrifices of sin. He's also the exalted king of the universe who's bringing his world to his expected end. Amen. Are you with me? And it's very important for us as Christians to see Christ for who he is. It affords us great peace. You know, listen, life is full of wind and waves. Amen? Can anybody testify to that fact? <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm confident that we can sleep in the bottom of the boat with Jesus. If we understand what he has promised us. We don't have to be tossed. We don't have to be torn. Why? He's a very present help in time of trouble. He's a refuge. He's a shelter. He's a strong tower. And all who run in will be saved. He's our light. He's our salvation. He's everything to us. He's the sovereign king. He's the one who can wake up from his nap and say, Peace, be still. And the whole wind and waves stop. That's who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that that's who we have to see him as. If you see Jesus like that and you know you rest in his bosom, you're, you're not going to sit at your table at home with your knees knocking together wondering how you're going to pay the bills and what's going to happen with your life and your family. I mean, listen. He's promised to care for you. He's promised to meet your needs. He's promised to be your king. He's promised to be your provider. He's promised to be your sustainer. He's promised to be your healer. In fact, if you're a Christian, He is all those things to you, whether you realize it or not. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, you know, part of Christian maturity is coming to grasp and understand these things about Christ. You know what Jesus said? He said, fear not. Little flock, don't be afraid. See, that's the devil's business. Fear is the devil's business. See, that's what he did. He came and he worked at work and he scared the living daylights out of everybody with sin and death. And Jesus has come and conquered it, snatched the keys and given us the promise of eternal life. Now what? Now we no longer have to fear death. Now we no longer have to be afraid. Now Jesus says to us, Fear not, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This is God's pleasure. This is why He made the world. So He could redeem you out of your sins by a strong arm. And so that in the, in the day of His power, in the day of His peace, you'll glorify Him and praise Him forever because He's worthy of your praise. Amen? <laughs> And that's the end for which it's all headed. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but this gives meaning and purpose to our existence. It's all here for a reason. And the reason why the world is dying in despair is they don't know that. They don't have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. They don't know what's going on. But listen, you do. You do know that. Now you can rest and not be afraid. Amen? Listen. He's the king. He's the big brother on the block. You with me? Mm -hmm. Death and hell have no power over you. And neither does suffering. Listen, suffering comes, suffering hurts, and suffering has a purpose in our life. And Jesus is the king of your suffering. Believe it? If you don't believe it, the next time you're suffering, cry out to him find out what happens. He's promised to be there with you and to walk you through it. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's who Jesus is. He's supreme. He is, as the scripture describes, the Lord. He's in authority. He's the ruler. He's the king. Amen? And we are his beloved people. He loves us. Listen, Christ loves us. Not because we're pretty. Not because we're nice. Not because we're lovable. But because He is love. And He has chosen to set His love upon us. That's His purpose. If you are in Christ Jesus, His purpose from all eternity was to set His love on you and pour out His mercies on you glorious truth amen and we sit and wonder once we grasp this we sit and wonder why me (laughs) right we're a broken and a contrite soul before god worthy of nothing but death for our guilt and our shame amen and christ picks us up and he washes us off and he cleanses us and he fills our heart with his joy and his peace and he gives us the hope of his coming kingdom and then he just simply says, follow me and I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls, he says. Amen? Well, <clears throat> our time is up. So next week we're going to go into this whole idea about the supremacy of Christ. The CDs that I handed out to you are beginning to talk about that subject. But if you will, here's what I want to say to you through this study of the person of Christ. Okay, I want you to come to this full view of who Jesus is so that when you think of him, you think of him in terms of his supremacy, his supremacy as God overall, his supremacy uh, as your savior, so that he is your comforter, so that he is your provider, so that he is your sustainer. So that you see Jesus as the supreme savior, the supreme comforter, the supreme security, the supreme king of my life. So that you see him for who he really is. And so that you no longer fear. And that you live your life in boldness as a minister, as a witness, as a servant of Christ. Are you with me? So that once we understand who Jesus is and we've seen a clear picture from the Bible of who he is... That that's how we ought to think about our life as in the hands of this supreme, sovereign Christ. Are you with me? So as we go through this thing of supremacy, let it just be etched in your mind that this is who Jesus is and that he loves you. And that you are the subject and the object of his love and that he is the object of your worship. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you and we bless you and we honor you. In fact, Lord, we could sing for 10,000 years with 10,000 tongues and never begin to describe the majesty and the beauty of your throne. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we shall see you with our own eyes ruling upon your throne in sovereign majesty and with all the glory and the beauty that attends it. Lord, our hope to see the seraphim and the cherubim flying around your throne, God, proclaiming your glory forever and ever. Lord, what a sight it must be. Our hearts eagerly await that day. And Lord... While we suffer here, be near to us, we pray. Oh, God, come near to us in our suffering, God. Lord, help us to reach out to you and find you to be the refuge and the strength that you are. And Lord, through your great hope, encourage us to persevere till the end, until that glorious day of your appearing. We thank you for such great promises. We honor you and we praise you because of your precious blood. Amen.